the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome as we head into Hour 3 and rejoining what we call regular order around here. Brandon J. Weikert joins us. Uh, he is many things. He is a teacher. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, books on Iran, books on China, contributor to the Washington Times, the Asia Times, America Greatness, and uh, great Twitter feed, and uh, gives us a bit of time every Monday to talk to him uh, in uh, in voice as well. So, Brandon, thanks for being with us as always. Well, thank you for having me as always going into this busy holiday season. Yeah, well, I was just thinking you really helped us get through the year with uh, sanity and uh, intelligence. So thank you now, for be that. Sure to, be sure to tell my wife that. Yes, <laughs> yes. We, that might be an interesting interview tactic with some of our regulars. Now let's hear from the spouse. <laughs> I can assure you, sane is not a word that would be used for me. Maybe the, yeah, the, the encomiums would not be as great, perhaps. <laughs> Speaking of, you've written a lot since we last visited and spoken a lot. Let me talk to you about this interview you did in the U.S. Sun. I'll just give the headline, tankless, instead of thankless, tankless job, chilling warning, U.S. military is drained, strained, and shrinking despite threats from Putin and Xi. At a time when we would want to be at our seemingly most muscular uh, we're drained, strained, and shrinking. Talk to us, Brandon. Yeah, well, basically, um, when you look at the strategic situation, um, on the face of it, it, we look pretty good, right? We're still the world's most powerful military on paper. Um, uh, China hasn't invaded Taiwan yet. Iran is maybe collapsing, and the, the Ukrainians seem to be doing well with our help. But just below the surface, it's uh, it's not as pretty as it seems. Uh, basically, particularly with the Ukrainian situation, uh, we've basically given over these weapons at such a rate that have been so decisive that there are no spares or very little spares left for us to continue supplying Ukraine at the rate we have been. And if you were to throw in... Uh, the possibility of conflict in the Middle East caused by Iran, or if you were to throw in a potential Chinese, not just invasion of Taiwan, but possibly it looks like maybe a Chinese attack on northern India that we might get pulled into. Um, we don't have the the supply, military supply, to basically aid all of our allies at once. Or even two. Um, or even two. Or even two. Okay. Or even two. Yeah. And so... You know, th- this is why so many people, including myself, not because we, we're anti-Ukraine and pro-Russia, far from it on my end, uh, we've been saying, Ukraine, you need to make a deal. You've had a lot of good battlefield victories. It sounds like the Russians are now willing to come to the table. This has nothing to do with whether or not we, we like Russia. This has everything to do with the fact that nobody's going to say it publicly, of course, but those who are in the know fully understand that our stockpiles are dangerously low, if not totally depleted in certain instances. And those weapon systems that have kept you in the fight 
you might not be able to rely on them the longer this conflict lasts. And the Russians uh, suspect that, and I think the Chinese suspect it. The only thing working in our favor presently is that there seems to be also a supply crunch on the Russian side. Um, but again, it's not just Russia we have to worry about. We also have to worry about China and Iran. And on the Iran front in particular, I don't know if you saw this last week. It maybe wasn't well reported. It should have been. Um, it was reported that a shipment of weapons-grade uranium from Iran to their clients, the Houthi rebels, fighting in the Yemen civil war was intercepted. Now, it was not intercepted by the U.S. military or a friendly military. It was intercepted by al-Qaeda in Yemen. And now it is believed that al-Qaeda has weapons-grade uranium. And so that weapons-grade uranium can, will, unlike, will undoubtedly be folded into whatever dirty bomb or what nuclear weapons uh, you know, program al-Qaeda is running. And, of course, al-Qaeda is re-energized as never before, not only because of the, the drawdown in Afghanistan, but also now because of the, the surge in al-Qaeda capabilities and presence in Africa. Um, and so the world is, is basically being broken apart. The United States military is being stretched to its breaking point. The U.S. military overall is the weakest it has been since the interwar years between World War I and World War II. Our enemies are beginning to suspect it. The Chinese think we're bluffing. By the way, the Chinese are heavily invested in their own military modernization program, which in certain instances, like hypersonic weapons, they're actually ahead of us. And so the Chinese are starting to think that we've been bluffing, and they're starting to think maybe they can call our bluff. And with us bogged down in uh, Ukraine, um, you know, maybe the Chinese will get lucky and they'll really move the ball forward for themselves at our expense in the Indo-Pacific. So this is really shaping up to be a really kind of scary time. And there's really no one in Washington who's A, thinking about this, and B, formulating a strategy to, to kind of counteract these negative forces. It's sort of a wishful thinking seems to be the, the, the driver here. You know, I'm just thinking about um, audience members that were in the military, maybe in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and they will remember how 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 bad it was uh, in the Carter years, circa 76 to 81, January of 81, and how cupboards were empty. I mean, it was just all kinds of problem after problem, and the military was gutted. And right. it dawns on me, you know, maybe, maybe America's uh, forces of reconstitution and renewal can suffer through four years of that kind of an administration. Seems like eight years would be a real challenge. And you spoke about both personnel and equipment. Uh, so let's let's talk about the personnel for a second, because it seems right. we, we have a perfect storm. I, I, I don't know how it could get worse. You have – if I'm missing something or overstating something, you'll, you'll of course, uh, fix it or yeah. correct me. Thank you. Uh, you have the storm of um, eligibility uh, down uh, and has yeah. been for a few years running now. But something like over 75 percent of our youth are, ac are actually unqualified for military service yeah. without a waiver. Uh, we are missing our recruitment goals uh, by yep. a, a quarter of percent, uh, excuse me, 25 percent in places like the Army. And and then we have 
two other problems. Did I say three? It seems to me there's four. Two other problems. One is the kind of wokeism stories coming out of especially the Air Force with their diversity and equity training. That seems to be the worst of them, but maybe I'm wrong. It just seems to be awfully bad is dissuading uh, certain levels and certain numbers of recruits, certain levels of longevity there. And then the other side of that coin, oddly enough, are young people uh, in that 16 to 24-year range who don't see the military as a good option, aren't really interested in joining um, something that is the fighting force for the United States. I just don't know how many more stressors we could take. Well, and that's the thing. Um, Our enemies know this, notably the Chinese. Now, of course, they have their own problems, and we shouldn't overstate their capabilities, but... The bottom line is is that unlike us, neither the Russians nor the Chinese, or certainly not the Iranians, these are not global military powers. These are regional military powers. In China's case, they seek to become a global military power, but they're not there yet. Um, but we're a global military power, and so we are expected and our strategy is predicated on us being able to basically be everywhere all the time all at once. And slowly but surely, those capabilities are going away. And then you have this added issue of cultural, cultural you know, and yeah. ambivalence or antipathy towards the yep. military. We can't get enough recruits. Uh, you know, and so it's the perfect storm, as you said, and it's really starting to look like the sort of the middle of, uh, you know, the middle of the interwar years, yeah. uh, where the military was going to take a galvanizing event to really kind of militate people to, and the government to start taking these military threats more seriously and to start addressing them. Um, and sadly, if it's a if it's like a space Pearl Harbor that I talk about in Winning Space, my first book, um, the concern with that is it won't be like the first Pearl Harbor where there was all this latent industrial capacity for the United States to surge into battle right. very quickly. Arsenal of democracy, that. yeah, right. We don't have that. Yeah. And if you look at what's going on in Ukraine, if these reports that I'm talking about are to be believed, and they should be, um, we've already run through these heavy weapons systems that Ukrainians have been relying on. And very important to note, you said we can't afford eight years of, of this kind of mismanagement. Of, hold hold of that supplies. thought right there. Let me take that right. commercial break. You can't afford eight years of this mismanagement. Right. I That is my concern. Um, absent some kind of... Uh, God forbid, heaven forfend, uh, intervening event that uh, that spurs something personnel-wise. Uh, we'll pick up on that thought with Brandon Weikert when we come back. Also, he has a really interesting piece on domestic politics we'll get to. Brandon and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest, author. Uh, he runs the uh, the Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com. W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T is how he spells his name. We'll get to some domestic politics and some of his writings there uh, briefly. We're right now talking about uh, an interview he did uh, talking about our U.S. military basically at this point in very dire, dire straits. Uh, Brandon, yes, let's talk about uh, the military cupboard. We have exhausted it or seemingly exhausted it. In trying to aid the Ukraine, you and I said in the previous segment, we probably couldn't help another ally right now, even if it were in equally or more dire straits. We used to talk about the U.S. military being able to fight a two-front war. We can't even help two allies. 
No, no. And it's important to note that this, you said that in the previous section, yeah. you said that we can't afford eight years. I'm assuming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, this actually, the problems we're facing are actually that which Ray Odierno, who's now dead, the former head Did of the army. Did he pass away? I remember. Him. Yes, I a couple know. years ago. No, um, but he briefed what I worked on the Hill. He briefed us. Uh, and he he was talking about sequestration, how the Obama administration was cutting defense spending haphazardly to kind of keep the budget under control. Uh, didn't really do a lot. Uh, but he I remember he looked me and my colleagues right in the eye. He said, look, my guys and I can cut any capability you want us to. Anyone in the Army, we can cut tomorrow. And that will be very easy for us to do. He said, but bringing those, reconstituting those those capabilities that may never be able to be done again, because once you take a Humpty Dumpty apart, you're very rarely going to be able to put them back together again in those previous forms. And so there was a little report here, uh, quote, the U.S. stopped manufacturing the tactical weapons such as Stinger missiles it is supplying to Ukraine in 2008 under the Obama administration, or 2009 rather, under the Obama administration. U.S. stockpiles of such weapons are becoming depleted, and U.S. defense contractors are scrambling to get production lines long abandoned back into production. They're even rehiring retired workers no. who have the knowledge to actually accomplish this. this is from an inside source at the, at the, in the Defense Department. Uh, because the current generation of employees has no idea how to do this. Um, this exposes how vulnerable the U.S. has become in its national defense over the last 14 years. And Obama publicly campaigned upon the U.S. abandoning its role as a global superpower with the money spent on defense shifted instead to social welfare programs like his Obamacare. Biden, however, wants to continue to play the global superpower game in Ukraine, despite the fact that he walked away from the military capabilities necessary for such ambitions. So this, my, this colleague of mine who wrote this is, is in the Pentagon. Uh, and so this is a this is a, this is a huge problem. Uh, you know, this goes. This isn't just Biden. This this precedes Biden by years. Yeah. This is Obama, and we're still paying the price of that. Which Ray Odierno warned Congress when I was working there. He warned us in twenty what was it thirteen or fourteen that I can cut any program you want. I can stop any production of any weapon system you want now. But when you need that system, and eventually you will. I can't bring that back online. It's going to be a, that much more difficult. And all the people need to do is look at what happened with the space shuttle and NASA. You know, We cut that program thinking that we'd eventually have a replacement. Yeah. Well, it took a lot longer yeah. to get a shuttle replacement than we thought. Yeah. And by the way, all those capabilities are gone now. We couldn't launch a shuttle today if we wanted to because the people who were responsible, that infrastructure, human capital, they've all moved on. And the, the supply chain is gone. Same thing with the F-22 Raptor, which is far more important now than the F-35, because we're now in a period where we have great power rivals, and the F-22 would have been much better suited to this kind of mission than the F-35. But guess what? Obama cut that program in 2009, and now that capability is gone. We will never be able to reconstitute it at a time now when that capability is vital. And so the F-22s that we have, I think it's like a couple hundred, maybe 100, um, that, that's it. And if we start losing those in combat against a great power, we're not going to replace that capability. That's going to be a capabilities gap. And this isn't just with Biden. This goes back to Obama. Obama's the real problem here. He's the one who cuts these capabilities, assuming we never have to worry about it again. And here we are, not very long after his presidency, and the chickens are coming home to roost. You know, I, um, 
I'm looking at uh, this this notion of our allies probably looking around. They know what we know. Uh, they hear what we hear. They know maybe in some respects even more than what we know, uh, based on what they're able to get the reassurances and the uh, and the material uh, that, that that they're able to access under under different bilateral agreements. And I'm wondering if part of that also could be one of the reasons outside of geopolitical, ideological considerations. I wonder if that could also explain why some of our allies are looking to China. The famous G Saudi Arabia meeting had a lot to do Absolutely. with our restructuring, but uh, our, our, our ideology. But I wonder if it had something to do with that, too. Oh, it does. Absolutely. There's a whole practical element to this, a uh, very materialistic element to this, where we, they are realizing that, A, we don't want this war in Ukraine to end. Understandably, we're supporting the Ukrainians, and so we're letting them take charge. The Ukrainians don't want to give an inch to the Russians, and I get that and I respect that. But ultimately, our allies know also fundamentally that the Americans do not – they're not the arsenal of democracy anymore, that we've blown through a lot of stuff that we should not have blown through to help the Ukrainians at a time when there are other threats coming in at us. Uh, and so, yeah, they're making different calculations, particularly in the Middle East, where it's very obvious the United States doesn't want to have an active role or as active of a role as we used to. So critical allies are starting to make key strategic calculations that are in their own interest. This is one reason, by the way, not just Saudi Arabia, but countries like Israel have started looking at China and Russia, not because they like China and Russia, but because they have to protect themselves from crazy Iran. And if the Americans aren't going to have their back or as much as they used to, they've got to make new strategic calculations because they're in a rough neighborhood and they're a small country and they're surrounded by people who literally want to revisit the Holocaust on them. And so it would be nice if our Washington leadership recognized that they can't keep playing this game the way they have been. They had to pull back in Ukraine, make a deal so that we can start rebuilding as much as possible the depleted arsenal so we can be ready for the next big war, which is coming every day closer the longer that we delay in rebuilding that arsenal and re, uh, you know, getting more people to join our armed forces. Uh, and, and, and until we start actually doing that sort of material rebuild, um, our enemies are going to keep pushing harder and our allies are going to start looking for new, new allies. Let me, uh, let me take the commercial break. Let me come back with you on the uh, issue of wokeism just a little bit in our military yeah. and how much of a depressant that is Absolutely. and a dissuader, current and future military recruits, which will get us also uh, hopefully able to uh, work into the domestic area uh, where yeah. you uh, wrote a very, very good uh, – always you write very well – a gr very good right. column uh, in American Greatness – on uh, on the on Ron DeSantis, so we'll we'll do all of that when we come right back with more from Brandon Weikert. You can follow him on Twitter, very active Twitter account at We the Brandon. His book, Winning Space: How America Remains a Superpower, for people who are interested in this sort of thing. By the way, you know it's gift giving season. I'm Seth. He's Brandon. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Uh, you get a lot from the title. There are other things that are making us less than a superpower. Um, and part of it uh, is something that really started cropping up uh, about two, three years ago and, and became more and more news 
over the summer and this fall, Brandon, uh, I, I could read you any number of titles. Wokeism doesn't belong at the United States Air Force Academy. Wokeness is sabotaging uh, military academies. Um, U.S. Air Force and Navy adopt trendy and distracting woke messaging. Uh, we saw this with the ads, some of these odd ads uh, for military recruitment. You know, it, it, it just made these military academies, to me, look like they were uh, trying to uh, ape or mimic uh, recruiting videos that you might have seen come out of Harvard or Swarthmore or something. It yeah. was really, really, really odd to see some of these ads. How much of a how much of a of a destabilizer is this in the military? How much is it hurting morale? How much is it hurting actual recruitment? Is it having an inverse an inverse effect from what they were hoping? Uh, it's not helping. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely hurting them. It's depressing. Um, it's depressing their their turnout. It's depressing people interested. Let's face it. Most people who want to join the military, um, they're, they fall into a few different categories. Usually it's people from the Southern and Western states. So they tend to be more conservative. Um, or it's people who are, you know, maybe from the inner city who are just looking for a pathway out of poverty. And that's the only way to get a good scholarship. and, And so that's attracting them. But there's usually a lot of sort of that, that traditional sort of macho, uh, you know, kind of personality that is attracted to the military. Um, and, you know, when you have these these ads coming out, which seem to be, like you said, completely detached from what we would expect people in the military to right. believe in and, and aspire toward, if you can't inspire people to join, um, you know, especially the kind of people who would be needed to actually stand and fight, um, you're, you're going to have a pretty big issue with, with – you know, getting people to, to join and, and actually having a reliable all-volunteer force, which then, of course, gets us into the very tricky position of, uh, you know, draft. We're yes, going to talk about yes, draft. yes, so, yes, yes, right. You I, know, it's a, it's, a, it's a big problem, and the fact of the matter is a lot of it is self-inflicted. Some of it is from people whose parents and family and who they themselves just don't see the need to join the military, probably because they don't want to get involved in something like Iraq. Uh, you know, another conflict yep. like that that's sort of bloody yep. and inconclusive. Yep. Or it's also these people who are, like, being turned off. They're looking at and they're saying, why would I want to join a, a force that is uh, woke? I don't believe in those things. I want my, I want the institution that I could die for, possibly, to reflect my values. And so that's another issue. And all that is sort of a, a really – and then there's also this overall sort of tilt in our society for the last 30, 40 years – going back to the 90s, where just people don't see the value of military service yeah. anymore. Yeah. And that whole idea of service of any kind is really not a priority anymore in our society, and it shows. It shows. Yeah, it's a problem uh, that really starts at the hole and moves down down the, uh, down the ladder, doesn't it? I mean, once you have a downgraded or a down-market view of America – you're going to have a down market view of joining the forces that constitute, defend, and right. save America. Yeah, right. 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 Why is this place worth fighting for? You've just told me how crummy right. it was for the right. last Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I, that goes back to my Law and Liberty piece a few weeks ago right. about cultural strength and, and confidence and how why would any country around the world want to align with a country like ours that says, 
we are horrible, we have a terrible past, and by the way, we're declining. Yeah. Why, you know, and it, that goes true also of Americans possibly joining the military. Why would they want to fight and die for an institution they believe is A, corrupt, right. and B, representing a system that is corrupt? It just doesn't... It's a it great point. Any- yeah, yeah, the more I'm thinking about it, no college advertises itself the way America talks about itself, you know? Right, right, exactly. (laughs) We're the best. Uh, Come here. Your future is bright. Uh, We have the top notch of everything. Um, Right. uh, Every college knows how to say that about itself. This country does. All right, let me me come uh, back after the next break and talk to you about your piece in American Greatness, which is really interesting. I have uh, something to chew on over the break, which is a fear, a concern and a fear. My concern and my fear is that Often, not always, but often, the guy who looks to be the front runner for the GOP nominee isn't always. People have uh, distant memories even of 2016, but remember what a juggernaut Jeb Bush was, and maybe even four years uh, before that. Remember the uh, the governor of Wisconsin. Uh, uh, it's 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 a concern. We'll talk about it with Brandon when we come back. Scott Walker. Yeah, Scott Walker, sorry. Little Neil Sedaka there for you. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Here's another great voice, Brandon J. Weikert, uh, attached to a great brain, a great mind. He uh, writes uh, a lot of books on foreign and international relations. Is uh, one out uh, th- that was out throughout big this year, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Uh, still time to get it if you're looking for gr- Christmas gifts. Um, but writes on the domestic scene as well. Only Ron DeSantis can win in 2024, you put up at American Greatness this weekend, weekend Brandon. Um, I, I think you're right about that. I am worried that we, uh, if we too early or too easily and early coordinate, history isn't always kind to those coronations. I, going into the break, was thinking about Jeb Bush and Scott Walker and I don't know, gosh, before that, perhaps uh, someone like uh, Rudy Giuliani or Fred Thompson. Uh, so I, anyway, historical cautionary note doesn't mean we have to repeat it, but worth worth putting an asterisk on, too. Yeah. Well, um, obviously, I, um, I, I don't want to coronate anybody, yep. um, but that's, that's yes. why Fair, I, Yes, let's stipulate. Yeah. Okay. Let's but that's stipulate. why, you know, but... I believe what should be done is whoever's the head of the RNC, whether it's McDaniel or anybody else, they need to prevent a 15 or 30 person melee like we had in 2016 and just say the primary will be for the top two ranked candidates. Yeah. Obviously, at this point, it's going to be it looks like it's going to be Trump and DeSantis and everybody else needs to just stay out. Um, DeSantis, in my opinion, has all the positives that Trump had and almost none of the downside. Mm-hmm. And as I say in the in the article, you know, I supported Trump. I was I was one of his earliest supporters. Oh. People coming at me uh, over this piece, uh, it's hilarious because I was one of the first people to sign the scholars and writers for Trump. And letter. I co-founded it. So you and I are and you I and I should did. have our vaccines on that. that. That's right. But of course we don't because we have to kiss the ring. I guess but the problem <laughs> is. is I, you know, for me, I, I look at all these guys as politicians. And I've worked for enough politicians to know they are tools for us to use to get our ideas, our policies, and our preferred personnel into positions of power to be able to affect the kind of change that we want. And so Trump, he was the right guy at the right time in 2016. He got the Clintons and the Bushes out of the way. 
He cleared a path for a new generation on the right, maybe even on the left. Um, and now it's time, though, to recognize that he's a one-trick pony, and he's got more negatives now than he does positives. Um, I look at these comments in the article and people attacking me. They're really not responding, though, to the content no. of my right. essay. Right. It's all per. One of them is calling me, you know, I, they, they're saying I live in an anus. I mean, they're, they're saying these ridiculous things, but they're actually not, they're actually not responding to the data that I presented, which is this. Who was the one who reopened their state when everyone said not to? Right. It was not the United States government right. under Trump. Right. It was Ron DeSantis. Right. Who was the one that actually fortified their elections going into 2022? It was Ron DeSantis. Yep. We had the cleanest election out of all 50 states because Ron DeSantis responded to the claims of election fraud in 2020. He didn't tweet about it. He didn't do anything on the, in the public about it. He just fixed the problem. His people did at his behest. Uh, and, you know, and we have one of the best economies in the country. People are flocking to Florida from places as far afield and you as did California. That, and you did that even while ticking off major woke corporations, right? That's right. right. And that's another thing. Walt Disney Corporation is one of the biggest investors in Florida. For the governor of Florida, whether he was Republican or Democrat, to have gone after that company, that was a huge risk. And you know what? It paid off in space. And so I don't this is this is Trumpism without the baggage of Trump. Yeah. And I don't know. I realize nobody wants to hear that. But I fully acknowledge Trump paved the way and he should be given a lot of commendation for that. And he had to put up with a lot of BS. But now Trump is living in the past. He won't let go of 2020. No one denies that he was wrong. But he's got to let go and focus on the future. And every time I see the man, all he wants to do is talk about the past. That cannot be how we win the future. You win the future by talking about the future, by promising people a hopeful tomorrow. And DeSantis is a young man, whereas Trump is going to be like 78 when he runs in 24. DeSantis has a young family. DeSantis is an ex-military vet. DeSantis' middle-class blue-collar background has worked his way up through, through hard work. This is the kind of guy you want in your corner. Uh, you know, and he's articulate and he's disciplined. And, he's and, and a man who did deliver a red wave in a sense. And I don't right. know if you've gotten your current issue, the Claremont Review of Books. Charles Kessler's opening essay says there was a red wave. It was just that it, it was, was confined Florida. to Florida. Yeah. I it mean, to Florida. go from 2% so to 20% victory in four years is an amazing feat. Insanely amazing. And he took a purple state and turned it deep red. And right. it's not going back anytime soon. And that's with all the northern transplants right. moving down here right. from blue states. Right. So I think that it behooves the Republican Party. I'm not saying to pick winners. What I'm saying, though, is let's isolate the two top candidates, which is clearly going to be DeSantis and Trump, and let's let them duke it out. And instead of fearing, oh, this is going to be so damaging and destructive, let's recognize that we've got to do it this way. And I suspect that if it's the, it's the head head on head uh, you know matchup, I have a feeling that DeSantis is going to prove all these polls correct that he's going to be the guy that walks away with the nomination because people they're they're unfortunately now whether fair or not there are more negatives surrounding former President right. Trump than there are positives right and we've got to take Trumpism but we got to drop a negative of Trump yeah no it's an observation of the reality it's not it's it's not a wishful thinking it's it's merely observational uh, observational one person is losing. Uh, support, uh, losing uh, support in the popular polls, and one is gaining. And, you know, yeah, you're right. We don't want to um, we don't want to uh, coronate anyone, but neither do we want to guarantee a defeat.
we can't afford it anymore. Right. Right. I agree. I and, agree. And we, if we lose again, we're going to be the, we're the Whig party. Yeah. The Republican party. Yeah. If it loses I worry about that. Election, I worry about that. We, that's it. That's it for us. And I don't think people realize how precarious the situation is. And this very ridiculous argument, wait till 28, being made by people. Well, Trump, I mean, that could uh, might as well wait till 48. I mean, I, you know, that's the, right. Yeah. That's right. I don't want a candidate who's going to be so afraid right. of standing up to the, you know, Trump that, that how is that going to, impl- you know, impact him when he when he does run and win? He's going up against Vlad Putin and Xi Jinping. Uh, he didn't want to take on Trump, who's nothing compared to those guys. No, DeSantis needs to run now. Whether he wins or not is a whole different issue, but he needs to run now in order for him to stay relevant. Because 2024 comes, he's out of the governorship. Yeah, that's he's right. Term limited. That's right. That's so this whole thing about, well, Florida needs him. Yeah, we need him until his term ends, which yeah. is 2024. Yeah, he gets so he two, yeah, he's two and done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have another choice. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. He's two and done. It's all self-serving arguments from the Trump side. And a lot of these people who are making those arguments, let's face it, they, they want Trump to, to be the guy because they're going to benefit on some level from Trump getting into office. I, you know, I'm just I'm just a guy in Southwest Florida. Yeah, but days. getting into office so, is the challenge and it and right. it's increasingly right. uh, it, it raises increasing increasingly our eyebrows. It really does. Right. And uh, so it should be the uh, he's the future. Right. I mean, we need the future now. I, we don't need to wait for another 5 or 8 years. <laughs> Who was that sports was it Warner Wolf the future is now Bill? Who was the sportscaster right. that used to say yell? I think it was Warner Wolf. <laughs> That could be Ron DeSantis' bumper sticker. <laughs> Brandon, you're the best. Thank you for spending Thank your you. afternoon or some of your Happy afternoon holidays. in brain. Yes, Happy Merry Christmas to you, and we'll talk to you, I guess. Uh, well, we'll probably take a little bit of a, a break here just because yeah. of the holiday, but we'll figure it out. And All we'll right. rejoin you shortly. You got my number. You got it, Brandon. Thank you. Bless you. Brandon Weikert. I'm yes, Seth Leapson. I'll be right back. Portions of this show are brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. You you are interested in investing in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not tied to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you choose. No loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Why refi is the answer. They have a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. Ten and a quarter a due diligence approved firm. You can check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R E F Y.com, or give them a call at 888 Y Refi 34. 888 Y Refi 34. Great, great guys. Great team over there. I know them well and uh, can't, can't say enough about them. I opened the show today thinking about out loud with you what thinking out loud with you about what the issues going into the next year might be, may very well be. And, you know, with the drop today of the criminal referral out of January 6th, uh, I have received a lot of emails uh, from you throughout the show today asking, do I think this January 6th stuff is going to attach to 2023? I don't. I don't. I think this is the the, the last gasp of a tired volcano. I think it's going to have three days of uh, perhaps four days of news in a slow news December or an otherwise slow news December or usually slow news December. I think uh, they, this will be the last hurrah of rounds of interviews for Liz Cheney before she is out of office in less than a month now. And um, and that's it. I, I, I just I, I've looked at the criminal referral. I've looked at the 
the four items they are referring to the Department of Justice as violations of criminal law. I don't think you get there. I don't even think this Department of Justice thinks here's something to worry about. Worry about for political reasons. Do you think Joe Biden might now take this political ghost? And it is. It's a political ghost. It's fish wrap. But do you think he might do it just to one up Donald Trump and give him a pardon from any possible prosecution under it so that Donald Trump has to look almost as if he's indebted to Joe Biden? Watch out for that move. It would be smart by Biden. Um, It would give him it it would give him, uh, as they say, uh, it would give him some pull. It would give him some um, some credibility. It would give him some heft and um, it would give him uh, an upper hand here on the kinds of things that uh, Donald Trump probably does worry and think about. All right. Until tomorrow. God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 